This world is full of bad news. I'm sure every generation says that, uh, and perhaps it's equally true all of the time, <clears throat> but right now it feels more true uh, than normal. That I don't know about you, but this week I spend a lot of time reading bad news. I spend a lot of time listening to bad news. I actually spend a lot of time talking about bad news, and that can be a bit discouraging. But today is the Lord's Day. And although on the Lord's Day sometimes I have to share bad news, more often than not, the Lord's Day is about good news. And so today I have the privilege of sharing with us good news. Good news to encourage our hearts in the midst of a world that's full of bad news. And although you may say, well, what good is one morning of good news against six days of bad news? This good news is so good that it overwhelms all the rest of the bad news. And so, although we've heard lots of bad things this week, we want to kind of leave those aside uh, for a little bit and just hear the good news of what Jesus has to say to us today. So I'd like to invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. It's page 991 in the church Bibles. Revelation chapter 1. Now the book of Revelation was written during a time in which the world was a mess. It is meant to speak about a time, ours, in which the world is most certainly a mess. And it talks about a time that is coming when the world will be a complete mess. But despite the fact that it was written during a mess, to our mess, about a mess that's coming, Revelation is primarily a book of good news. You might not expect that. You might think it's a book mostly of judgment or doom or gloom or condemnation. But it is far and away a book primarily focused on good news. It's a blessing to all who hear it read, and it is a blessing to all who take it to heart. In the midst of whatever bad news there is, Revelation is meant to be good news, to encourage us in our walks with the Lord, to introduce us to who Jesus is. And so this morning we have the opportunity to hear good news from the book of Revelation. We started our study of this book a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the opening and found out that this thing that we're studying is the revelation of Jesus from Jesus. It talks about the future, but for the purpose of being a blessing to us in the present. Last week we talked about the one who is the author of this book. The Apostle John is the author, but the ultimate author of this book is our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who is not only the author of the book of Revelation, he is the author of all things. And as architect, builder, and realtor, God is in control of the past, the future, and even the present. The last thing we heard of Jesus last week is that he is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. 
And with that, the book of Revelation, having declared these things about Jesus, then launches into spontaneous praise of who Jesus is. Look at it with me, the second half of verse 5 and verse 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen? Amen. In this statement, which we now use as our benediction for the year, there's a lot of good news. Look at it with me. The first piece of good news, to him who loves us. So the him that's talking about here is Jesus. And the first piece of good news is that Jesus loves us. A week or so ago, in response to the shootings in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Doc Rivers, who's the coach of the uh, LA Clippers, an NBA team, uh, had this statement speaking about blacks and the experience, their experience in America. He said, it's amazing why we keep loving this country and this country doesn't love us back. It's so sad. It is sad. But if I could sit Doc Rivers down and I could say something to him, what I would want to say to him from the depth of my heart is, nothing that you ever will do will cause this country to love you. Countries don't love people. They use people for their own ends. But what I would want desperately to say to Doc Rivers and to any black person here today, and any black person in America or anywhere in the world. The bad news is, America is never going to love you. The good news is that Jesus does love you. Jesus loves you totally and completely. And this is not something we're up here proclaiming in response to racial things going on in America today. Two and a half years ago, I preached a sermon entitled, God Loves Black People out of Isaiah 18. And Isaiah 18 was written 2,500 years ago before America even came to be a thought in anybody's mind. This is not a new message. God has been proclaiming for a long time his desperate love for blacks. God also loves Assyrians and Egyptians. That's Isaiah 19. And if you're here this morning and you're a white American, or you're European, or you're Australian, or Chinese, the good news is Jesus loves you. And this country, no matter your skin color, no matter whether you're rich or poor or powerful or popular or an outcast or a widow or an orphan or a politician, this country will never love you. But Jesus does. The Bible says that God showed his love for us in that while we were his enemies, Jesus died for us. This country is never going to die for you. But Jesus already did. And lest we think 
that the demonstration of his love was in the past and is over? Notice what it says. To him who what? Loves us now. As with everything in Revelation, the focus is on the present. Jesus loves us now. Totally and completely now. It's not just that he loved us in the past. He loves us right now. It doesn't matter if you are far away from him or not. He loves you. It doesn't matter what you did in the past, what you're doing now. He loves you. It doesn't even matter if you don't know who he is. He still loves you. He loves you no matter what. There are no qualifications in here. To him who loves us, not just the moral people, not just the good people, not just the people in church, Jesus loves us. And that's good news. The first song we often teach children and the first song we ought to teach everybody. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And the best piece of news you're going to hear today, this week, or ever is that Jesus loves you. Totally, completely, wholeheartedly, with no reservations. Not based on what you've done, are doing, will do, not based on anything except the fact that he just desperately loves us. There's another piece of good news in this passage. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Jesus has set us free from our sins. This is actually a pretty multifaceted, complex statement. Jesus freed us from our sins means, first off, that he freed us from the penalty of our sins. That our sins, our disobedience, the way in which we fall short, brings death into our lives. It merits death. It merits separation. Many of us here know that feeling, the feelings of guilt, the feelings of shame, the feelings of difficulty, of separation, isolation. When we engage in behavior that is displeasing to God, we feel it and we see it and we experience it. But the good news is, is that Jesus frees us from the penalty of sin. There is no more condemnation for those who are believers in Jesus. There is no more death. There will be no hell or eternal separation for those Jesus has freed from the power or the penalty of sin. Do you understand this? It's the most amazing news. You will never, if you put your faith in Jesus, you will never have to answer for the things you've done wrong in the past, are doing wrong now, or will do wrong in the future. God says, I separate you because of Jesus from your sins as far as the east is from the west. I bury them in the deepest ocean and I swear to you, God says, and I cannot lie, I will forgive your sins and remember them no more. There is no more penalty for anything you or I have done wrong. There will be no accounting for it. There will be no having to explain it. It's simply forgiven. 
Jesus also frees us, not just from the penalty of our sins, but from the power of sin. Romans 6 tells us that sin has the power to enslave us. We know this feeling, don't we? You know what it's like to want to stop doing hurtful things and not being able to stop? Maybe you've seen how your anger has hurt people around you and you want desperately not to do it anymore, but yet you still give way to it. Perhaps you've seen how your arrogance or your insecurity causes you and others so much, so many problems and the words slip out of your mouth or the thoughts go in your head and you can't make them stop. Many of us know the power of addiction to food or to sex or to money or to affirmation from other people. And no matter what we do, can't seem to have power over it. That's because sin enslaves us in the fullest possible way. But Jesus sets us free. Now it does take some time for that freedom to work itself out. But the good news is, is that we have been emancipated from our sins. Jesus has declared that sin will not be our master. It will not have power over us. That's good news. Another aspect of the good news is Jesus not only saves us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, he saves us from the prevalence of sin. Revelation speaks of a time when we'll be saved from the presence of sin, meaning there'll be no more sin. But even right now, think about this. If you're a Christian, how many times this week did you and I fail to inquire of the Lord before we made a decision? How many times this week did we fail to do something we should have done? How many times just this week did we entertain thoughts? And how many of those thoughts did we entertain that we know God wouldn't be pleased with? How many times just this week did we read something or watch something that we probably wouldn't have watched if Jesus was sitting right next to us? How many times this week did we walk by the clean dishes in the dishwasher and not empty them? Or the full trash can and not empty it. How many times this week did we have the chance to tell somebody about Jesus and to chose to talk about something else? If we were to even see the incredible magnitude of ways in which we fell short this week, it would be crushing. But because of Jesus, those sins do not cling to us. We do not walk it. We don't even know what they all are. But Jesus says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even the sins we don't even know about. Who can even understand all the ways we fall short? But the good news is Jesus rescues us from the incredible prevalence of sin in our lives. And all this sin which should be absolutely destroying our existence. He protects us. He rescues us. He walks with us through those things. The bad news is that sin leads to death. Sin enslaves us. And that sin is everywhere in our lives. The good news 
is that Jesus has freed us from the penalty, the power, and the prevalence of sin and will someday save us from its very presence. There's more good news in this passage. Not only does Jesus love us, not only has he freed us from sin, verse 6, he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. In 2005, Doris Kearns Goodwin, a historian, wrote a really powerful and good book that I, I enjoyed reading called Team of Rivals. It's the story of Abraham Lincoln's presidency and how Abraham Lincoln chose to invite the people who had been his stiffest rivals during the nomination process to be part of his cabinet. And so uh, Edward Bates, uh, Salmon Chase, and William Seward became part of Lincoln's cabinet. And I love the fact that Doris Kearns Goodwin named the book Team of Rivals because they were his rivals. In some way, they were actually his enemies. But he chose to incorporate them into his administration. And the thing that I love about it is here we are, how many years later? And here's a historian researching these three guys that we would have forgotten all about. And here we are in 2020 talking about them. They would have been lost to history. Why do we remember them? Well, because Abraham Lincoln turned out to be potentially and probably the greatest president in America's history. And because he invited his enemies into his administration, we're still talking about them today. This is what Jesus did for us. We were his enemies. And he's invited us into his kingdom. Jesus is not just the president of the United States. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There is one kingdom that rules over all kingdoms in all the universe and he's that kingdom's king. All power, all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth is his. He is Lord over the whole universe. If there are people on other planets, I don't think there are, but if the, he's king of them too. He is the king of all kings. And we were his enemies. We were his rivals. We were trying to steal glory from him and give it to ourselves. We were wanting to be in charge of our own lives. We were wanting to work against him to get us elected to be king of the world instead of him. And in his kindness, he not only saved us, he welcomed us into his administration. He gave us positions in his kingdom. He signed to us jobs that, frankly speaking, we don't deserve. And because his kingdom is going to last forever, to work for this king, well, that's the best thing in the world. And so today, if you have non-Christian friends or family members, Jesus has invited you to join him in the work that he's doing to see them come to faith. That at your company you might have a harsh boss or a difficult situation. Today Jesus is inviting you to work not just for that boss but for him, the boss of bosses, and to see his kingdom come at your workplace. If your heart is for the widow, 
or the orphan or the poor or the outcast. Jesus is inviting you today to be part of the work he's doing to rescue them, to bless them, to love them, to help them. See, the bad news is most of us work for companies that will go bankrupt at some point or will retire us from working there or will fire us. Most of us go to schools where we will find out someday that the things we learned were either wrong or incomplete. Most of us are involved in causes in this country that don't seem to make any progress because Satan, sin, and death are simply too strong. And the bad news is you can spend your life laboring for a company or in school or working for good in a country like America and waste your life. But the good news is that Jesus invites you into his kingdom. And that school you go to, that company you work for, the family that you're in, that cause that you're a part of, you can do it for him. And that you can work in his kingdom. And that he has chosen to make us who were once his enemies and his rivals into part of his cabinet to see his administration that's going to last for eternity. You and I are trying to set up our own kingdoms and even if we were to succeed, they'd last for about five years. He is the king of the eternal kingdom. And he not just forget, he not, didn't just forgive us. He gave us a spot in the kingdom. He gave us meaningful work to do. Work that we can find satisfying. Work that we can find fulfilling. Work that brings joy to our souls. That's good news. So what's our response to this good news? Jesus loves us. He's freed us from our sins. He's invited us into his kingdom. How do we respond to this good news? Well, verse 7 actually contains a decision point. we got to unpack it a little bit, so look at it with me. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And in this verse, we have the proper response to the good news of verses 5 and 6. Let's unpack it. First of all, look, he is coming with the clouds. This is about Jesus and about his return. And what verse 7 is saying is, Jesus will return to this earth. The first time he came, he came as a baby in a manger. He will not come that way again. This time he will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will come as the one to whom every person, every person has to give an account. That's why it says, every eye will see him. The first time he came, if you didn't live during that time or you didn't live in Israel or you weren't near Bethlehem or Nazareth or Jerusalem, you might not have seen him. But this time when he comes back, Every human being, every human being, old and young, 
those that live in America, those that live in China, those that live in Russia, if anybody's living in Antarctica, wherever they are, every single person will have to face this Jesus. There will be no hiding. There will be no, hey, mom and dad, you go talk to him for me. There will be no, hey, look, look, I'm just a little kid. There will be no, I'm, I'm really old. Every single person will stand face to face with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There will be nowhere to hide on the planet. When he comes back, every eye will see him. And then look what it says. Even those who pierced him. Now that's a reference to Jesus' crucifixion. And it's telling us that not just every human who is alive at the return of Jesus will have to face him. Even those who died before he came. It takes us back 2,000 years to the group of people standing there at the cross crucifying Jesus. And what God is saying here is every single human being who has ever lived on this planet. Those who are alive will face him face to face and those who died will be raised from the dead so that they can stand before him face to face. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can you imagine what that will be like? Imagine for a moment, it says, even those who pierced him. Imagine you were that guy or that woman who stuck that spear in his side. Imagine you're the one who swings the hammer to put the holes in his hands. Imagine you had been the person who shoved the crown of thorns on his head. What if you had been one of those people who had spat on him or mocked him? How would you feel when he returns and you get picked up out of the dead and brought back to life and you get to stand before him? What do you say to him? Every single human being will stand before Jesus. And the last phrase forces on us the decision. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. What does that mean? Well, remember I said, imagine that you are the one who stuck the spear in the side. Or imagine you're the one who hits the hammer. Or imagine you're the one who put the crown of thorns on his head. What do you say to him when, he stands when you stand before him? I'm going to say I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to beg for mercy. If it was me that had done this, I would be like, I didn't know. I am so sorry. And I would mourn <laughs> that I had done such a thing. This is talking about there will be a group of people who when Jesus returns, there will be mourning because of what we did. The amazing thing about his crucifixion 
is that even while the spear is going in his side, even while the crown of thorns is going on then, even while he is dying, Luke's gospel tells us there are some people, the moment he dies, they begin to mourn. The people who killed him. They're beating their breasts out of sadness and mourning. Why? They realize they just participated in an act they should not have participated in. The centurion who leads the crucifixion. Imagine what kind of trouble he's going to be in. He comes to faith. He mourns because of Jesus. And for you and I, the truth of the matter is we didn't stick the spear in his side and we didn't put the crown of thorns on his head. Literally. But it was our sin that crucified him. It was our sin that held him there. If you and I hadn't lied and we hadn't stolen and we hadn't cheated and we hadn't been unfaithful, if we hadn't entertained all of those thoughts, he wouldn't have to die for our sins. What are you and I going to say when you stand before the Lord of the universe and realize those holes are my fault? That pain and that suffering was my fault. Well, most of us here are going to do the same thing, which is we're going to mourn. We're sorry for what we did. We're sorry for the pain that it caused him. And I do wonder, even though we are totally forgiven and our sins will not be brought up at all, I don't wonder if the first time I see him, the words out of my mouth are going to be, I'm sorry. Even if he doesn't remember those sins, I know him. And I feel that pain. So some people are going to be mourning out of repentance. But it says all people on earth will mourn because of him. And this is where the decision point is. The rest of the people will mourn because Jesus made it very clear in his first coming that those who do not accept Jesus by faith will be cast out into utter darkness where there is weeping or mourning and gnashing of teeth. And that the book of Revelation tells us in the end, for those who refuse to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, they will stand before him with hard hearts and they will be cast away from his presence forever and their fate will be eternal sadness. Mourning forever and ever. Which forces a choice upon us. Everybody is going to mourn because of Jesus. You can either mourn now out of repentance. Or you can mourn for eternity. Everybody will mourn. And the good news forces this decision. Why go to an eternity of sadness? Why go to an eternity of darkness? Jesus loves you. He does not want to send you to that. Why go to it? Why go to an eternity of separation from God? Jesus has already died for your sins. He's already died to give you eternal life. Why go to a kingdom of darkness? 
when Jesus has invited you into the kingdom of light. This is why the last words in Revelation from Revelation chapter 2 say this. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Do you not hear Jesus begging you come. He loves you. The invitation is this good news is for all people. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter what you did in the past, what you're doing currently, what you'll do in the future. Jesus loves you. He's died to free you from your sins and has invited you into an everlasting kingdom. And the choice is come. Will you be the person who mourns now for our sins, for our shortcomings, for our failings? Or will you mourn for eternity? Jesus does not want anybody to perish. And so he says, come, it's an invitation. You couldn't get in any stronger invitation. Now you say to yourself, well, how do you respond to an invitation like this? Well, the same way you respond to any invitation. Imagine this was an evite from Jesus. What's the evite going to say? I accept. I decline. Not sure yet. I'm urging you today, all you got to do is click the I accept button. You're like, well, how do you do that? You just simply in your heart decide, I accept. On an Evite, you've actually already accepted the invitation when you decide in your heart before you click the mouse button. Jesus has invited you to be part of his kingdom. All you have to do in your heart is say, yeah, I accept. And I'm urging you, please. The time is short. He's coming back. But even if it was a long way away, listen to what you are being asked to accept. That the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords loves you. That he's setting you free from the power, the penalty, the presence, the prevalence of sin that he wants to give you a place in his kingdom to do meaningful, significant, eternal work. This is the invitation you're being asked to accept. And even if you think, well, I got some more time. You might. You might not. I don't know. But why would you want to put it off? Now this is especially for those who are not yet Christians. Please accept this invitation. Let me say this to those of us who are Christians. Number one, you may go, I, I knew all this stuff. It's good to be reminded of the good news because you may be a Christian for 80 years, but we need to be reminded today in the world in which we live that Jesus loves us. And that we don't carry around the guilt and the shame and the penalty of our sins. And that he's called us to a kingdom that's not called the United States of America. It's called the kingdom of God. And he's given us positions in his kingdom. That's good to be reminded of that. It's also good. And here, please, a word of exhortation. 
Do you see it says the spirit and the what? The bride say come. We know who the Holy Spirit is. Who's the bride? The church. Let the one who hears. So if you're a Christian, you've heard, right? What is the one who hears supposed to say? Come. In other words, there is a gentle encouragement in this passage to say you and I who are Christians, who are believers in Jesus, we have the good news. What should our lips be speaking to people? Come. This world is full of bad news. And if you're anywhere half as guilty as I am of this, you probably spent this past week talking about all the bad news. You probably talked to people. I cannot, I cannot believe how every conversation always goes back to COVID-19. I'm like, no matter where you go, what you do, it always somehow comes back to that. The bad news is always on our lips. You may have spent the whole week talking about the bad news about social unrest and difficulties in this country. You may have spent the whole week talking about bad news about poll numbers and this politician and all the stuff that's going on. You may have spent the whole time talking about bad news like, well, what if there is a vaccine and then people don't take it? And what's going to happen after November 4th? And is the country going to tear itself apart? There's all sorts of bad news we can talk about. The gentle encouragement here is, why not talk about the good news? The good news in this world is not that a vaccine might be coming. That might just be more bad news. The good news in this world is not that a certain politician's poll numbers went up or went down. That's not good news. The good news is not in this world that there are some people who are finally paying attention to social issues in the country or that the fact that, oh, well, you know, people are trying to actually bring some peace to this. That's not the good news. The good news is Jesus loves us. He's freed us from our sins and he's invited us to be part of a kingdom and to be priests in a kingdom that will never end. And the gentle exhortation, I don't sound very gentle, do I? The gentle exhortation. Let's talk about those things. I'm not telling you never to talk about bad news. I'm just saying that perhaps for us as Christians, you say, well, what can you do in this world that's falling apart? One thing we can do is stop spreading all the darkness and speak about the good news. Jesus loves us no matter what happens on November 4th. Jesus loves us whether there's a vaccine or not a vaccine and whether people take it or don't take it. Jesus loves us if the pandemic lasts for the rest of our lives or doesn't. And the good news is Jesus loves us. And so the exhortation is, this is what we're told to talk about. Let's take as many opportunities as possible to tell others, Jesus loves you. Jesus died so you could be freed from your sins. And Jesus is the king of a kingdom that will never end. And he's invited you to take a position. Let's pray together. Lord, my first and deepest prayer is for those who are not yet Christians. Lord, maybe they grew up in a church. Maybe they identify themselves as Catholic or Orthodox or Protestant. Maybe they think, well, I've been Baptist or whatever. But Jesus, if they have not yet accepted this good news, I pray, Lord, that today 
they would do that. Lord, for those who are listening who are like, I've never heard this before. I don't understand this. I'm not sure if I ever did this today, Lord. Would you impress upon their heart? All they have to do is in their heart right now just simply say yes. God, for those who are like, hey, look, I, I think I might have done that. I'm just going to keep saying yes and yes and yes. I'm going to keep clicking on that button until I make sure that, that acceptance gets taken. Lord, see those yeses and give them assurance that you have heard their acceptance. Lord, I thank you that in the midst of a world that's falling apart, you are saving people. What a glorious God you are. Lord, I also ask for my brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians, genuine Christians, remind us again of the good news. You tell us to set our minds on things of heaven, not on things of the earth, but we've set our minds on things of the earth. Forgive us for that. Jesus, if you are for us, what can be against us? Is there any sickness? Is there any government power? Is there any difficulty or hardship or trouble that could ever separate us from your love? Is there any health diagnosis or monetary crisis or stock market crash or anything that could separate us from your love? Remind us again, Jesus, that you love us. And help us to speak that good news to others. Forgive us, Lord. We've been spreading the darkness just like everybody else. We've been speaking about hopelessness when we know that there's hope. We've been talking as if medical science is the solution when we know that you're the solution. We've bemoaned government activity when they were never supposed to be the saviors of the world. You are. And so, Lord, help us to speak of you. For we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.